The involuntary manslaughter trial of Jennifer Crumbly, mother of the Oxford High shooter, is over after a jury found her guilty on all four charges of involuntary manslaughter against her in the deaths of Hannah St. Juliana, Tate Meir, Justin Schilling, and Madison Baldwin in the Oxford school shooting. The uh, person to analyze this legal saga is back in studio with us again. We welcome back to the studio attorney Todd Flood of Flood Law. Todd, good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Surprised at the verdict or not? No, I wasn't surprised. I, I think we called it um, ahead of time. The the facts, this was a fact-driven case. And you just take that one day of November 30th, you look at what happened in that 11 to 12 minutes in that office with the school of administrators and officials and the indifference that Jennifer Crumbly had to that meeting and then just walk backwards. How many red sirens did she walk through? knowing that uh, her child was in peril, but yet had a complete indifference. We've talked about all the details of this case with you throughout several weeks. What about what the foreman said? What sort of stuck in their mind? Let's let's hear from her for okay. just a moment. And sure. uh, talking about what they, f- and it was a brief comment that she made, but it was instructive in terms of what the pivotal evidence right. the, and the, the, the kind of the tipping point evidence for them. Yeah. Um, the thing that really hammered it home is that she was the last adult with the gun. And that's where I'll end my, my comment. Thank you. So, wow, of all the things that the jury could have seized upon, right? did you see that one? So it was a big question in my mind. Where was the gun last seen? When was it last in the hands? You know, we didn't really have all of that. Did she leave it in the car? Did she not have it in the car? But what I do see for that, for that, that's fodder for the next case. That's fodder for the next defendant. Answer this question, right? Mm-hmm. I didn't have the gun last. Right. I didn't do it. Mm-hmm. I, I, I made sure it was secure. Someone else. Oh, by the way, she's the one that had the gun last. So I could see that plan B defense. Um, it, it's interesting. Jurors will glom on to all different types of things that you didn't see coming. And, and I think that was a, a key piece that came in that how, she would have it last. How much do you think uh, this played a part when she was on the stand, Jennifer Crumbly on the stand, and she said she wouldn't have done anything different? Oh, you know, I would. That came, by the way, Lloyd. That came from the direct testimony of her own attorney. So her own attorney anticipated that answer because you know you go through all the questions, of course, right? exactly, and. Uh, not that, hey, listen, I would have never given him a gun. Not that um, I, I would have taken the gun away. Not that uh, at that meeting I would have removed him from the school and got him into a counselor immediately. Not that I would have called my boss and said, I'm taking the day off. I got but a crisis. But if she said here. any of that, wouldn't that have incriminated her? Yeah, yeah. I, I think it shows consciousness of, you know, the, the remorse. What would you turn, what would you do if you could turn back the hands of time? So... The, the fact of the matter is, is that she has a conscience. Um, when she said nothing and four people are dead, oh, think mm-hmm. about how that psychology works. I just think so that her attorney never a, should have asked the question in the first place. No, not not not, not if that was mm-hmm. uh, not with that being the answer, mm-hmm. because jurors don't. First of all, I think it was self-serving, all of it, a lot of it. And she lied. She, she was impeached on the stand. Jurors hate that with I, the timing of I, them on the run. Yep, the timing yeah. on the run and also that she took the gun away and then said, no, I didn't say that. And then clearly, if you play back the, the tape, 
she she did. We're going to be talking to you for another segment, so I want to set aside for a moment what the long-range potential of this verdict sure. and the precedent-setting nature of it might be. We're going to save that for the next segment. But when you look at the, the facts that were presented here and the testimony that came in that I think from a legal strategy standpoint is questionable, the affair, the journal, um, her attorney-client privilege discussions about when and how she was going to turn herself in, does she have the grounds for an appeal on uh, insufficient defense? Ineffective assistance of counsel, a 6,500 motion. Yes, so I I think, Guy, you're hitting all the points everybody's asking, Um, and it's clear to me that uh, there are going to be some issues, some ripe issues for that particular appeal. Um, I still trouble myself with the journal. How does that come in specifically? I wasn't there on that day of the motion, um, but it's hearsay. You can't cross-examine it. Um, it, And how does she have notice or knowledge of what was written in that journal? So there are some issues there that I'm sure will be uh, ripe for an appeal. Uh, The attorney-client privilege issue i think is significant because you got secrets there second i think the fact that when she had uh her client up on the stand and her client said i was just following my attorney's instructions mm-hmm. oh my I'm, I'm thinking to myself you just made the attorney a witness right was the attorney obstructing i mean how does that all play out so there's some appeal uh, appellate issues that i think um you know someone like a robin frankel or could have a field day um, she's going to be sentenced in April, uh, and four counts involuntary manslaughter. Manslaughter is up up to fifteen years. Right. Per count. So, what could she actually see as far as a sentence? So, uh, calculating the guidelines, not knowing all of the history, but just doing the guidelines in the state of Michigan, she's looking at uh, twenty nine to fifty seven months fall within the guidelines. It's not a consecutive sentence; it's a concurrent sentence. Mm-hmm. So guidelines are just advisory to a judge nowadays in Michigan um, to have a substantial and compelling reason based on factors. Could she go over those guidelines? Yes. The max she could do if she, if she had all of the compelling reasons to do so, the judge uh, could and a max give two thirds of 15. So it would be 10 to 15, anything any term of years from up to 15. So the max would be 10. Now, mind you, the guidelines, uh, if she got the top end of the guidelines, she's basically looking at 5 to 15 because 57 months just shy of 60. Mm-hmm. So um, I, I think the prosecution is going to lay out really those compelling factors to have the uh, judge go over the guidelines. Um and I think the defense is going to lay out the factor she's never been in trouble before. Yeah. This is um, her first go around. And time served. Yep. She gets time she served. Is. She gets the uh, she gets credit for that time. She gets credit for that time. Almost, what, two and a half years now. Coming yeah. up, if you're a parent waking up this morning, what are the main takeaways in terms of your responsibility? Did this case change the standard for negligence? Did it change the standard for due care? And if you're a gun owner, Does this open the door to prosecutors using their discretion to come after gun owners in general? We'll explore that with Todd in our next segment here on JR Morning. It is your choice to have a child and 
you cannot choose to not take care of your child. You cannot choose to not nurture your child. You cannot choose to um, take your own interest over your child, especially when it comes to mental health. That's Craig Schilling, the father of Justin Schilling, one of the four victims who lost their lives in that shooting massacre at Oxford High in 2021. In that landmark case following the tragic shooting at Oxford High, Jennifer Crumbly's fate has been decided. She was found guilty on all four counts of involuntary manslaughter. Attorney Todd Flood is in studio with us to analyze this. And um, attorney, uh, what does this mean for the uh, father, James Crumbly? Does this necessarily mean that he'll be found guilty? Does it necessarily mean because of this? No, no. He has his due process rights. He's going to have his own case. And they're going to have to be hyper vigilant as it relates to getting a fair and impartial jury. That's the that's, that's going to be thing. the key, right? Yes, yeah. So uh, when you ask questions and and voir dire your your prospective jurors, you're going to definitely want to touch upon them and their prejudice and biases and what whether or not they can set those aside. We're all going to have certain ones, right? So can you set those things aside? Can you listen to the evidence and? Can you follow the law? Because the judge is going to tell you you must follow the law. Can you do that once the judge reads the instructions? Um, And it's going to be difficult because uh, people don't want to talk in front of everybody else. So you got to have the deft touch of being able to get them to open up and be honest and have candid conversations. Um, And that's a skill uh, that you, you really have to have seasoned attorneys in there making sure that they're getting a fair and impartial jury. Uh, Todd, the national headline is first parent held responsible for a child's deadly rampage. Does this open the door for other cases? Does Is this a slippery slope or do you find this case just a one-off, a unique set of circumstances? Um, I, I think these facts, um, yes, it is the first time I mean, that in our country, we have held parents accountable for their child in a mass shooting. Um, it's not the first time in the state of Michigan we have held parents accountable for a child shooting another when they left their gun out or when they, um, I was just discussing earlier about having notice about, you know, a young child setting things on fire and the parents not being you know, reasonable and responsible, and the child lights a house on fire, killing someone else, and the parents being held accountable. So I, I think the the bottom line is, in this case, if we really look and dive into this, this is an um, a eye-opener for mental health. It's an eye-opener for um, parenting and making sure that, you know, you're, you're on top of things to the extent that you can be a good parent. I'm not looking for Job says parents. I'm looking for parents that are responsible and that make sure they're with their children to get them help when they need it. Does Um, it change the responsibility standard? Does it change the standard for negligence? And do I have to worry about things like letting my teen leave with the car in the morning or taking, um, you know, uh, if do I have to lock the knife drawer? How far might a prosecutor now take this newfound leverage for for getting accountability? I don't think it changes the standard. I don't think it changes anything with regards to our precedents or stare decisis. I think, you you know, it all starts at home. Um, And this is 
Jamie's point earlier, I, this is the first time. It is kind of a aberration, uh, you know, a one-off, because I, I would believe most parents in this circumstance uh, would get their child help um, seeing the, the demons and seeing the ugliness of what this kid was going through. Um, so I don't think it changes the standards of our law. What about guns? There are activist prosecuting attorneys in various counties around this state who are anti-gun. Could this be used as a cudgel Mm. to even even where maybe due care was taken by parents? If the kid somehow got the gun and used it, you're going to court. Sadly so, if that were the standard, if that were the case, if someone, you know, is a a prosecutor or authority said, hey, this opens the door for me to go at it. That's an ugly situation because prosecutors are held to a very high standard of charging and uh, they can't be charging by the seat of their pants. Um, so I, I would find it um, reprehensible if that were the case. Right. Would you expect maybe some test cases like that? Nothing's out of the question, but it would be, uh, you know, really ugly if that did happen. I, I, I could imagine that guy, but. You know, for the most part, for the most part, our Prosecutors Association of Michigan, the PAM, um, they, they, this is an extraordinary case. Uh, they got a lot of media. I, I think it, the facts drove this case more than anything else. But yeah, I ask because state representatives yeah. were, you know, were uh, there was a blizzard of press releases after this, sure. and from those that are from an anti-gun perspective, mm-hmm. right. it was this serves notice. Well, that yeah. you yeah. know, sadly so. Um, hopefully, we have. Everything coming back to the middle, right, of get rid of the extremisms. So that's the sad part. We, you know, this, we hope that this doesn't happen anywhere else, but we can't be naive and say something like this doesn't happen somewhere else where a child takes a gun, goes to a school and does, you know, horrible things. Well, it happens all the time in this country. It it does. does. In this particular country. It does. And so, you know, if it happens again, you know, this does this case set precedent where people look back at this and say, okay, well, this happened here. This woman, this woman, this man was charged here, was found guilty because X, Y, and Z. Can we use that in this case to, to you know, make it easier to convict? So I, I maybe easier to charge, not necessarily easier to convict. It, to Jimmy's point, it happens all over, right? We just had a child in South Carolina shoot a teacher, not right. kill, mm-hmm. and right. the parent was held responsible. That's the right. parent got two years in prison. It does happen all over the place. If you're derelict with a deadly weapon, if you're not cautious with a gun. And this child was six. Yeah, I mean, six-year-old. six-year-old. Yeah. So yeah. think about this. This is not rocket science, right? I mean, at the end of the day, you have a deadly weapon. You better be responsible. You better teach. You yeah. better, you know, I mean, this is, this to me is common sense stuff. I shouldn't have to prove water's wet, right? But that we are going to have those those people out there that have exceptions. Uh, I want to charge this or that or the other. It has to be fact-driven. Right. And, and, and we also have to have some remedy to making sure we have mental health care for people that are in this position. And parents unwilling to ignore the red flags. Todd, thanks so much for your time. Guys, thank you. Always a pleasure.